You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Breathing fire. That's what we normally do here on Seattle Sports Saturday, but there is extra fire to be spit today. Breathed. Breathed. We got the Dragon Season opener in two hours from now. Kicking off on ABC. Not just kicking off their season. Kicking off the latest rendition of the XFL. That's a big deal. I mean, we got so much Dragons coverage going on this week. Next week. for Throughout the whole season, Lydia, you've got Dragons Insider every Wednesday night. We've got the Jim Zorn Show coming up on Monday at 11. We've got Maura Dooley, who is in D.C., in D.C., on the sidelines. Yeah, hope, hopefully we can get in touch with her today. Absolutely. Who knows get that... her on the show, yeah. get a little preview. Yeah, I mean, the cool thing about that is you can have whatever access you want, right? Yeah. During the game, you can go up and you can stand next to Jim Zorn. Someone just makes a play, they're coming off the field, you could go up and ask him a question. So we're going to talk to her about that and what it looks like out there. Hopefully, I looked up the weather. It's like 30s and sunny, so at least it's sunny. Sure. I t- what's the sun? I don't know what that yeah, is. Yeah, we haven't seen that in a while. <laughs> I have no idea. What the- of course, it was sunny the uh, the one time it was during the Super Bowl, and That's no true. one was outside. Yeah. So I was like, oh, perfect. Thanks, Seattle. Yeah. When I was down in Miami last week, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, coming back, that was this guy harsh. Was yeah. You know, <laughs> as I Rough do. Life. Me, you know, got my, my winter home in Miami. In your flippy floppies. Yeah. Uh, but coming back. Man, I haven't seen the sun since I've been back. New, no. which uh, that's that's a rough rough go. But yeah, hey, it doesn't look any better out there right now. No, hopefully that turns around in a couple of days. Because mm-hmm. man, these gray skies makes this time of year. Because normally the sports calendar slows down after the NFL season here in town. You kind of hope the Huskies would be a little bit more competitive, so we would have you know potential NCAA tournament run to look forward to. Got the Dragons today, which is super exciting. In two years, we'll have hockey yes. during this time, which, which will help. Yes. Oh, thank goodness. But you're right. I, it's it's We get football, which is going to be great, but it also is when my mind starts turning towards spring training because I even just like thinking about the idea of being in sunny Arizona, being in Peoria, uh, where it's, it might be 70s this March. I'd take that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll gladly take that. And you bring up spring training because, what, in four days – Four days. days. Mariners, pitchers, and catchers report to Peoria. It's already here. It is. And, I mean. It's crazy. Yeah, and you look at just what's going on in baseball right now with, obviously, more fallout to the Astros. We learned about, uh, you know, what A.J. Hinch had to say last night on MLB Network. And then you have the Red Sox and Dodgers and the Twins uh, join forces on one of the biggest blockbuster trades in baseball history, one that we will get into coming up in the 10 o'clock hour today. So there's still plenty, plenty of stuff going on, despite the fact that it seems like the sports calendar has sort of crawled to a halt here. Uh, but we are going to get into it right now with this hour's Big Three. Number one. Oh, I guess it's me talking Super Bowl first because the Kansas City Chiefs are champions of the world. Taking down the San Francisco 49ers 31-20 in a comeback victory seemed to be the recipe for success for Kansas City this year. Patrick Mahomes, your MVP. Questions around whether or not he should have been MVP, but it's the NFL. NFL. You got to give it to the QB. Just it's the it's the better story. Even though Damian Williams, 17 carries, 104 yards, touchdown. 
plus he had the, the essentially the game ending score. Uh, what a performance from the Chiefs to come back and, and battle into this game. And Curtis was there. We'll get the the sights from the game. Uh, I was with my dad, who's from Kansas City, so I got to feel a lot of this game from the perspective of someone who's been waiting fifty years to just even go, let alone win the game. So great stuff. And I think. Lydia, we talked about it last week, too. There's so much for the Seahawks to look at this Chiefs team and say, hey, I think we can do that. We have a quarterback who can take over a game. They they did it from behind. They, it, no matter how far down this that team was, they had a chance to come back. And I feel like when the Seahawks buy into that mentality, it'll be a really dangerous formula. They turned their defense around in the span of a year as well. They went from you know one of the worst to at least – Pretty decent, right. middling, and then, you know, at times in the postseason, really good. Move on from D4, get Tyron Matthew, get Frank Clark, Super Bowl. Seahawks, take note. Number two. Well, they have been one of the biggest disappointments in college basketball through the season's two-third point. Talking about the Washington Huskies. In the midst of a five-game losing streak that has all but tanked their NCAA tournament hopes, there's still a possibility they could get in if they make a run in the Pac-12 tournament. They really got to win the Pac-12 tournament at this point to get into the field of 68. Look to put an end to that five-game streak tomorrow afternoon. Uh, the Husky slide has not been Isaiah Seward's fault, though. No, no, no. The freshman star named to the midseason candidate list for the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Award, which goes to the nation's best center in college basketball. The Apple Cup of Hoops takes place tomorrow afternoon. Pre-game show beginning at 2.30 p.m. Tip-off at 3 right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You look at this Husky team, 12-11, and 2-8 and in conference play. They are in last place in the Pac-12. It's hard to believe that this season started off with a win against the current number one ranked team in the country, Baylor. It goes to show what the ceiling is of this Husky team, and unfortunately the basement of it is much further than any of us had ever thought about this Husky team. It's our preseason top 25. Man, they got swept at home by the Arizona schools last week, swept on the road by the Mountain Schools, Utah and Colorado. They lost the heartbreaker to Oregon, which I think really broke the back of this Husky team because they had such a big second-half lead against a really good Ducks team. But they get they get an opportunity against the Cougs tomorrow, first of a three-game road trip, uh, which concludes in the L.A. schools, USC and UCLA. That is next weekend, so the Huskies – Still with a little bit of time to write the ship, but they got to really get it going if they want to make any sort of NCAA tournament run. Number three. Well, congratulations to, to Marco Gonzalez, who signed a four-year, $30 million extension with the Seattle Mariners. It includes a club option for 2025 as well. And with that, I think it can go upwards to $45 million with that extra option year, according to John Heyman's report, which I always, you know, I'm, I'm going to mm. quote that uh, with some asterisks, too. But the extension begins in 2021, and the Mariners, who are undergoing a lot of change, a lot of uncertainty right now, now lock up a, a big part of their future, not just on the field and what Marco has done since coming to the team in a trade in 2017, but the leader he is in the clubhouse. We hear that talked about constantly, not only from him, but for Jerry DePoto, Scott Service, how he really takes on that leadership role. It was something that started when he was in St. Louis, when he got the same kind of uh, treatment from Adam Wainwright, Waino telling him to pay it forward too. So Marco taking on that responsibility and I'm, I'm happy, not just about the money because you've got that cash to spend, but because you get a steadying presence in your clubhouse, someone that 
really loves that leadership role. You also get somebody who you know is an ultimate competitor, who's feisty, who is not afraid at times to walk that line between, um, I don't know, appropriate and not calling out umpires. He called out the Astros, too, and other teams um, before the sign-stealing scandal sort of broke because he felt that things were maybe a little too little too easy for them out there. So Marco will walk that line. But I loved his quote in his post in his press conference that said that, well, I get that feisty because Seattle to me is my home, is my home stadium, and I'm going to defend it. So that's why I get that passionate. So I think that's pretty cool. Not on our table. No, 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 Not no. Not no. on our <laughs> table. Marco Gonzalez under contract for the next four years, $30 million coming his way. That is this hour's big three. Some honorable mentions, NFL Combine handouts, uh, we're giving out this week a bunch of Huskies getting the invite to uh, Indianapolis. Trey Adams, Savon Ahmed, Hunter Bryant, Miles Bryant, Jacob Eason, Nick Harris, and Aaron Fuller all getting the nod to go to the Combine. Cougs will be represented by quarterback Anthony Gordon and wide receiver Des Patman. Uh, so a lot of state of Washington representation going to the NFL Combine, which is just a few weeks away. Uh, late signing day took place on Wednesday. Not a lot of moving and shaking from the Cougs and Huskies, but both schools able to really retain the majority of their classes despite the late coaching changes that both schools underwent. Uh, and then K.J. Costello, which, you know, an intriguing quarterback name that was available out there, uh, he decides he will not go to the University of Washington. Instead, will go to Mississippi State and the air raid offense that is anchored by one Mike Leach. Interesting wrinkle in that. Mike Leach able to get one over on the Huskies. It's been a while since he's been able to do that. Yeah, that's a. Uh, I guess that's a win. I will mm-hmm. say this past week I unfollowed Mike Leach on Twitter, and it was a great feeling. Yeah, he had some uh, tweets out there this week. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, you know what? I don't got to do this anymore. It's not your problem. not my problem. Yeah. No, I don't got to. I don't got to follow this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, Rolovich able to, uh, Curtis, unfortunately, flip one of the Arizona yeah. Wildcat commits here, a local product, Ford Sports Performance uh, a guy as well. Yeah, Alphonse Oywak out of Kentwood, which, I mean, I'm a Kent Ridge kid, so Yay, you know what? Take him. Yeah, Take him. Right. I, don't, I don't need him. <laughs> oh. but, uh, and Rolovich rocking the hats, too. Really appreciate that I will on say, Pac-12 Network, also at the, the Sports Star of the Year Award. Just I'm a man of taste, and hence I love a bucket hat. Right? So... The fact that he's so protective of said bucket hats, I'm here for it. I just, like, the past few weeks have been such a breath of fresh air from the past few years about the coach and the way he handles himself. And, look, we're already starting to get local recruits. like the, Which the, is something that Mike Leach never really emphasized when he was head coach of the Cougs is that, yeah, there's still talent here in state. Yes. And it doesn't all have to go to the Huskies. It doesn't have to all go to Oregon or USC or anything like that, you know, Keep it here. Put a fence around the state. Yeah, and I think it, that helps with the kids below and the the underclassmen to them. They look up to those players when they're on the same team as them. They play with them. They know they're going to go into the next level. And they, if they see them going to UW and Wazoo, that's going to be like, hey, that's where you got to go. That's where our best player is going. So we got to stay. We got to go to one of these two schools. So I just want to see more of that here in the state. UW's been doing a great job. Hopefully they can maintain it with this new coaching regime, and then hopefully Wazoo can 
take a bite of the pie. You know, shout out to the Seattle Sounders who won Best Sports Story yeah. of the mm, Year award yeah. in their in their winning their second championship, and Raul Ruiz Diaz who won Male Sports Star of the Year award. Sis Bates, female athlete. Heck of the yeah, year. let's go. Yeah, Angie Mentink, Keith Jackson Award. Awesome. Uh, John and Tracy Schneider get the Paul Allen Award for their work with Ben's Fund. So this is big a, night all around. And yeah. quite a year for you, Tay. I was just thinking about it. Toronto. Oh yeah. Kansas City. I mean, you have family in St. Louis. Yeah. And the Sounders winning. It's just, you, you've had a kind it's of a weird. storybook year. Starting in March of last year, it feels like something changed in my life. And then all of a sudden I started having sports success. Oh, yeah, the show started last no. March. Hmm. That's it. Maybe you guys are or just the luck. biggest part of it, too. Let's right. go. We'll take it. We'll take it. Coming up in this hour, why is 2020 the best opportunity for the Seahawks to reclaim the NFC West? We take a look at that coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up, the Super Bowl Saw the 49ers take one of the toughest L's that organization will ever see. We got the sights, the sounds, the feels, all of that coming up here. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. 31-20, Chiefs knocking off the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 54. One of the great comebacks in that game's history. Maybe the second greatest comeback in that game's history. If you, I think Patriots-Falcons will yeah. be the greatest comeback in NFL history. Oh, Kyle Shanahan on both sides. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. Bummer, dude. Yikes. Yeah. He's going to go to Zoomies and get some vans to... Zoomies, that's, Take a, his mind that's a compliment, bro. He's a pack sun guy. Yeah. <laughs> God. I mean, hey, don't hate on the flat bill because I rock a flat bill, but, you know, it's just the combination of factors. It's you're the also, small logo and the flat but, bill and the... You're just, also not trying to, like, impress the kids when no, you're, when yeah, you're yeah, wearing yeah. his. Where he, his, I think I get those vibes. And a lot of the time, ladies, you go backwards flat I do. That's bill, very true. Which is a is an acceptable Legit. look. Front Flat Bill is a tougher. That's a Kyle look, and his—I mm-hmm. mean, his name is Kyle. So. Yeah, jeez, Kyle. <laughs> but uh, this Super Bowl, you had just the 49ers looking like the better team for—I would say—probably three quarters of that game, and then something something flipped in that fourth quarter, and it was late in the fourth quarter because the 49ers had the 11-point lead or the 10-point lead with about six minutes left to play, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden. Kansas City, the floodgates open. Pat Mahomes looks like the Pat Mahomes we had expected him to look like all game long. And the Chiefs are the ones drinking beer off the Lombardi Trophy after the game. When you look at this game and just how quickly it turned, do you think that was more on the Chiefs able to flip a switch or was it on the 49ers just unable to put the their foot on the throats of Kansas City? I think it was a perfect juxtaposition of these two quarterbacks. And when you put one in a high-pressure situation, he rises to the occasion. And when you put the other in a high-pressure situation, he tends to crumble. Now, maybe that's unfair because there are times, whether it's the Saints game, that Jimmy G looked, you know, great. But throughout the playoffs, Pat Mahomes, for such a young guy, has been that guy that is not scared of the moments, not scared of going uh, whatever the score might be, you know, the deficit-wise, and We'll take that ball and and lead his team to a win. So I think it was just it came down to those two quarterbacks. And is Jimmy G good enough to uh, win games? But win you the game when you have to put the team on his back? I don't think so. 
And not only that, it just felt like the defense just hit a wall in that fourth quarter where everyone had their hands on their hips, especially on that drive where Kansas City got back into the game. It just, it, where Tyreek had that big catch, it looked like they were walking around like we're already gassed out here. And they, they knew there was still a whole lot of game left to play. So, and then offensively, Lydia, you, you said it, Jimmy G not able to convert. They couldn't find Kittle. They just they weren't able to take advantage of a lot of the plays he had. Kittle like even upset at one point, right? Yeah, Jimmy G didn't. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, I think they had was it Debo Samuel on that long route where he overthrew him by like five yards, and, yeah. and essentially he would have had him in stride for a touchdown. It was just such a, a collapse on both sides of the ball for the Niners and the Chiefs aren't afraid, and they took advantage of all those opportunities, and Patrick Mahomes able to score 21 straight points. Well, and I think one thing that led to Patrick Mahomes having the fourth quarter that he did was Kansas City was finally able to at least prevent a little bit the pass rush that the 49ers had throughout the majority of the game. Nick Bosa had an amazing game for San Francisco really the entire way through, but in that fourth quarter, it wasn't the same as it was for the first three quarters, and Pat Mahomes... That's a quarterback that you cannot give any extra amount of time to or else he's going to find Tyreek Hill open like he did on that long pass play that really sort of, I think, got the Chiefs believing again. I believe they called it, what is it, the The Wasp? The Wasp play. Yeah, Yeah, the Wasp play. And not only that, if you watch the NFL films mic'd up, which I don't expect anyone to do if you're not a Chiefs fan, but... Um, Frank Clark saying that, like, we smell blood in the water now. We smell the blood in the water. That The defense was motivated after that big drive by the chief offense. Essentially, like, look, you're you're only down a few points now. You can get back in this if you get the ball back for your guys. And they were able to turn it up a notch. And Chris Jones with big deflections in the fourth quarter. And Frank Clark with the sack at the end to help seal the game. You saw the defensive line for this chief sort of, take that next step forward and truly get pressure on Jimmy G and make him uncomfortable, throw early, check down. He just wasn't able to do, I mean, he checked down all game, but he just wasn't really able to play the game he wanted to play in the fourth quarter. And that they took advantage sack of on it. fourth down, oh, yeah. get the ball. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I was really impressed. I think there was some suspicion that Pat Mahomes wasn't a hundred percent in that game because he took some hits early on. Yeah. Um, uh, one from Jimmy Ward. Yes. That was a big one. I mean, replay showed it wasn't as, it wasn't maybe as big as we all thought it was in the in watching it in real time, but still, I mean, any of us we're we're gonna need smelling salts after that. Yeah, no. So really impressive all around. I want to know from you guys because two very unique perspectives in studio. One on the emotional side, Tay, this mm-hmm. game meaning a lot to you and to your family, and then Siraj actually there in person. So. Uh, give me your just personal takes on, on this game. I mean, it's so cool. I mean, I grew up a Chiefs fan and a Seahawks fan, and just they were in the same division. You know, my neighbor actually was James Hasty, and my dad loved the Chiefs. So it was so cool to have that connection. And then his son and I, JR, we became really, really good friends and still are really good friends to this day. And yeah, just all. 30 years of my life, never seen the Chiefs be successful. I still don't think they're going to win, even right now. I still feel like they're going to come back and be like, guys, just kidding. Like, the Niners actually won that game. The they, Patriots actually somehow got back into this and yeah, they won it. It's know. all a big joke. We got you. It was just 50 years we had to play this big prank on you guys. But it was just so cool to see my dad so happy. My sisters were there, too. My mom, unfortunately, was working, but she was there with us for uh, the first half of the game and had to leave. So... It was just, it, you can't put a price on that. 
you can't that's just one of the moments I'll remember for the rest of my life. I'll cherish it for the rest of my life. It's so cool. It doesn't mean as much as the Seahawks victory to me, but for my dad, it's for sure the most meaningful Super Bowl victory in his life that he's gotten to see because he was 11 the last time they were there. So yeah. what just, I mean, if you have a chance to watch a sporting event with a parent or with a kid or a cousin or a family member, I just highly encourage you to do it and appreciate those moments because it, it's truly going to be one of the things I, I cherish for the rest of my life. Yeah, I know. Just seeing the pictures of your dad that you posted <laughs> on yeah. social media. It and was your just sister. Like, wow. Well, I got this cool hat, too, courtesy of Curtis. Let's go. From the game. So I've been wearing this, like, all week. I love this hat now. It's, like, one of my favorite hats. So I appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate the love on Twitter. A lot of people tweeting out congrats to my dad and to me. And I know he appreciates it. And uh, my family appreciates it. So just thank you for accepting us as chief fans as well as seattle fans yeah for me my perspective on the game i have never been in a sports viewing atmosphere with that much energy i could feel the energy in the stadium i got to the stadium at 2 30 in the afternoon miami time the game kicked off at 6 30 uh miami time and i i first went to the media room to get set up and all that and then I went out, like, kind of walked the concourse, and, you know, there's Pitbull playing over here. And, <laughs> Mr. Worldwide. Yeah, absolutely, Mr. 305. And going out into the stands, just, you know, three hours, two and a half hours before kickoff, like, there are people in their seats ready to go. And I have never felt an atmosphere like that. And each and every play, you could feel people just holding their breath and just waiting to explode or, you know, it was crazy to see the amount of fan support that Kansas City had, which was weird because in the beginning parts of the week, there there was a, about an equal number of fans. But then Thursday and Friday, the Chiefs' kingdom really showed out, and then you know they were doing their thing the entire game through. One interesting thing to note about the fan pie chart, I guess you could say, of repre- of representation, there was a large number of Baltimore Ravens fans there. Because oh, I think no. they had purchased tickets yep. before Derrick Henry went and used Earl Thomas as a blocking slip. Yeah, sorry, you're yeah. my lead blocker, Earl. It, it, there, it, there was I probably saw at least fifty or sixty Baltimore Ravens fans. You know what? There. That wasn't a bad bet at the time. I think no. a lot of us thought that they would be there. So <laughs> hey, you get to go enjoy and you get to watch sort of emotionally detached, a pretty exciting game. Yeah. Kind of a piece of history, and you got to see Shakira and J Lo at halftime, so not I mean, bad. Not worth bad it at all. Not bad. On the flip side, seven grand is seven grand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you could probably sell those tickets. You could buy yeah. seven thousand dollar TVs and be set up like a prince <laughs> or a princess in your in your house, and and still get a better experience. I think. But yeah, it was <laughs> it was truly a a, a bucket list experience yeah. for myself. Uh, getting the opportunity to go the week leading up to the game, and then the game itself on Sunday. Got back on Monday night. Um, you know, I, I've always dreamt of going to a Super Bowl, and, you know, getting to be able to do this job and have that opportunity was, you know, an incredible honor. And there were, you know, there were definitely moments throughout the week, and especially at the game where it's like, holy cow, like I am at the freaking Yeah, Super I was just going to say, like, like, when you're sitting there in the media section at the game, what was that feeling like just sitting there and looking around and being like, oh, my gosh, yeah. I'm, I'm in it. I know. Like, it was like I look out and there is football players in the flesh playing in the biggest sporting event on the American sports calendar. It was nuts, and it was just an incredible opportunity that I've 
I'm super thankful for. And, uh, you know, it would have been a lot cooler if it was like the Seahawks against somebody else. But heck, yeah. any team, I'll take it. I'll and take and it. again, now you don't have to watch with that emotion. You can just appreciate yeah. the whole mm-hmm. experience of it. And I think that's awesome. You deserve it, C-Rodge. Well, Both of you, you deserve it. So thank I'm you. really happy. It's cool that uh, we have two very unique different perspectives on this one. Um, it's fun to watch. So next year, Seahawks Chiefs. How about that? I'll take it. Yeah. Well, and then we can all go. Yeah. We'll, well, that, just, we'll do our show live. That yeah. leads us into what we're doing next. Why <laughs> is 2020 the best opportunity for Seattle to reclaim the NFC West? We get into that. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Dragons, D.C. Defenders, the inaugural game of the XFL 2020 season comes your way in about an hour and a half. We're going to be joined by our very own Maura Dooley, Dragons Insider, coming up in about 10 to 15 minutes from now here on Seattle Sports Saturday. That's going to be a lot of fun to get her take on just what the energy is like there in D.C. today uh, as the XFL season. It's here. It is no longer A figment of our imagination. It's going to happen. It's kind of cool and terrifying to be first, to be the first uh, rendition, not just of the season or of the the league, but like the very first game that's played is the all eyes will be on the Seattle Dragons this morning, which is kind of cool and terrifying. (laughs) You don't want a clunker, but I mean, I don't think they will. I honestly, I'm really excited. Look, I I have no like any reasoning to believe one way or the other, but for some reason, I'm just convinced that this is going to be a product that I'm going to enjoy watching. I don't know why. I, I want to know, how has Vegas been able to develop odds for these games and for the season when there is no history to go off of for any of these teams? I got a lot of questions about Vegas <laughs> and how they do the things they do because Jim Moore and I were talking about this. How, if you look at any basketball game or football game, it in the normally... final five minutes of that whatever matchup, it is almost exactly what Vegas has predicted. And it's almost to a T on every single game. Like, how can you do How can you do that? It's freaky. It's freaky, man. I mean, I understand none of those guys are allowed to bet on sporting events for, like, the rest of their lives. So, yeah. But once you get the formula, I wonder. God. Man, with great power comes great responsibility. It's like knowing the Bush's beans, baked beans recipe. Like, yeah. you're in that, that elusive category. Roll that beautiful bean footage. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, the Seahawks 2020, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, because I look at the Seahawks offseason and the 2020 season as a really good opportunity for them to not just get back to the postseason, but to stake their claim as the best team in the NFC West, which is seems pretty, I don't know about outrageous to say on the face of it, because you've got the defending NFC champ 49ers, you've got last season's NFC champion, L.A. Rams, in there. The Cardinals are an improving team. But if you dig a little deeper at each of these teams as they enter into this offseason, the Seahawks definitely are sitting the prettiest when you add up their cap space, draft capital, key free agents, you know, all, and then just not having to deal with the fallout of losing a Super Bowl, which is what half their division is still having to figure out. When When you look at the... 49ers and Rams here, Lydia, compared to what the Seahawks have this offseason, it feels like the Seahawks are breathing the easiest of all these teams. 
I think so, too. But also, they had a year in which they exceeded a lot of expectations. So now are those expectations automatically elevated, right? Because they had an impressive season and because they have a lot of capital at their expense, whether it is cap space or draft picks to utilize. So I think they're... I think there will be more expectations on them this year than there were last year. But also, I love your points about where where the other teams are at. I expect the Cardinals to take another step forward. But I would imagine the 49ers taking a little bit of a step back, although they have a great coach. I think Kyle Shanahan is a slightly better coach than uh, Sean McVay is in L.A. So I don't think the same drop-off will happen well, they there. got Robert Sala, too, coaching up exactly. that defense. It's just a matter of time before someone takes him away to be a head coach, and maybe this is his last last year there because you heard about people wanting to meet with him this year. So who knows? Uh, the coaching turnover could happen. Luckily, the, the Seahawks don't seem to experience that sort of type of uncertainty. I think the draft, though, will be will be huge for the Seahawks this year because of that. Yeah, and we're going to get into uh, sort of the priorities and how the Seahawks should prioritize the offseason a little bit uh, later on in the show. But, yeah, you just look. The cap space is the one that that jumps out to me. And the Cardinals do have a little bit more cap space than the Seahawks. But, I mean, they're still paying David Johnson 14.25. If they cut him, they got to pay him 16.2. So he's there with the Cardinals. That's also one of the biggest enigmas to me of what the, the the mystery of David Johnson over the past couple of years. Yeah. Right. Where'd you go? Yeah. And it just feels like with all the question marks with David Johnson, all the questions, question marks with Todd Gurley, you're not going to see a lot of those same question marks with the running backs in San Francisco, but Jimmy G now there's a bunch of question marks. Can he get it done in, in when the pressure's on and the should they move on from Jimmy G? That was a headline everywhere yeah. this week. Should well, they go after Brady? You look at, what the 49ers are paying Jimmy Garoppolo, what the Rams are paying Jared Goff, like these are two teams that they were able to surround these two quarterbacks with a lot of talent, but now that they're having to pay these guys, they're not able to do that as much as they used to because you look at the Rams two seasons ago, they were getting Dominican Sue, they were getting Aqib Tlaib, they got Brandon Cooks, they got everybody that every team would want. They were able to rebuild that offensive line, and now – they have very little wiggle room. They got twenty three million dollars in cap space, uh, and I mean Todd Gurley's future is in doubt. Who he was one of the best running backs in the in the entire league a couple seasons ago. Now you don't know if he's going to be healthy. He's only twenty five years old. Forty Nineers only nineteen million dollars in cap space, and Eric Armstead. There's talk they may use the the franchise tag on him, and the franchise tag for the end is about eighteen million. So, and that all counts against your cap. How much can Jared Goff really improve, or where we? Where will we reach the, the ceiling of Jared Goff? And then also, have people sort of figured out Sean McVay at this point? Will he evolve? Will he innovate? Yeah, I mean, he took a lot of the blame and pressure this offseason, calling himself stupid, and he was the reason why a lot of these players weren't, you know, reaching the potential that he thought they would have at the beginning of the year. But you also look around the rest of the NFC, right? And the, the West seems like it... it is doable and winnable for the Seahawks team currently, as long as they keep doing what they've been doing. But you look around the NFC as well, and are there a lot of teams that frighten you in the NFC heading into next year? I mean, it feels like the two perennial Super Bowl contenders right now are Baltimore and Kansas City, and they play in the AFC. So you wouldn't have to worry about them in the playoffs until the Super Bowl. 
But who scares you outside of the NFC West as well in the NFC? Is it Green Bay? The Saints always Orleans, kind of yeah. scare me a little bit. Right. Depending on how things shake out with Dallas. But, I mean, they finished, what, 8-8 eight and eight this last year? New They've got coach, Mike McCarthy. Yeah. Dak, the future of Dak. Jerry Jones just being Jerry Jones. Yeah, it's... The it's Philly, a great question. It's a great Philly's question. just kind of, you know, they're in this weird spot. Yeah. They don't know what they have with Carson Wentz. Can he step up? What, you know, defensively, they can be good, they can be bad. So sometimes it's not always the team on paper, too, as much as how they line up against you and match sure. up against you. And, and the point. fact that they have just had a history of playing you tough. So, you know, Minnesota, to me, too, is always in that conversation. Well, I think a lot of these teams can really change what gets said about them after the draft, too, because the 49ers. They were aided out in a big way by getting uh, Nick Bosa. Like, that was a big reason as to why their defensive line was so good this year is because Nick Bosa came in and played like a 10-year veteran right out of the gate. And they were able to accumulate all these draft picks over the last, you know, four or five years when they were really bad. And now, I mean, the 49ers, their defensive line is really good going forward, but they also just they don't have the wiggle room to really add. They're going to have to get really creative if they want to bring in new pieces. Whereas the Seahawks, they don't have to get creative. And we talk a lot about, you know, oh, they would save seven million dollars if they cut Justin Britt, but it's like they still have like close to sixty million dollars in cap space right now. If it comes to that point where you have to get rid of some cap casualties, then the Seahawks can do that, but they really don't need to do that right now. Yeah, no, they're just in a really advantageous spot as far as looking at the other people in the conference and how they can improve through NFL free agency and through their own free agency. They got the money to get to keep Clowney and potentially go get some more pieces. They have the the money if they lose out on Clowney to go get two people similar to what the Packers did in the Smith brothers, quote unquote. They make good milk. Right. Yeah. Oh, great milk. Um so <laughs> There are so many opportunities for the Seahawks, and just because one door or window closes on something in this offseason doesn't mean that it's closed on the whole offseason, and I think that's what's going to really help the Seahawks going into 2020. Keep that window open. Let some fresh air in. Also, guys, Russell Wilson just tweeted a photo of he and Sierra. He's got his lovely hair couple. straightened. His hair is straightened, and you it's go, one of the craziest looks off-season Russ. Off-season Russ is off-season here, ladies Russ. and gentlemen. So uh, make you sure you're checking. You do you, Russ. At Danger Russ Wilson on Twitter because that's a vibe. That's a look. That's loving a drip that. right there, loving as the kids that. say. Also loving how we're going to have more Dooley Dragons Woo! Insider joining us next from D.C. from the site of the inaugural XFL 2020 game. That's coming up next. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up in the 10 o'clock hour, we give you our big three from a national perspective. Lots of trades in the NBA, Major League Baseball. And then we got the debut of the XFL 2020 season. Your Seattle Dragons take on the D.C. Defenders off at 11 a.m. We are joined on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline right now by one of our very own Dragons insiders, Maura Dooley, who is a, who is in our nation's capital at Audi Field for today's kickoff. Maura, thanks for joining us this morning. How how is the vibe in D.C. this morning? Thanks for having me. Hopefully, yeah. it's not too loud. I'm actually on the sidelines right now. We do have a little music going on, but uh, 
I mean, it's all excitement. <laughs> These guys are pumped. It's a long time in the making, and they just can't wait to get out there. Everybody's on the field warming up right now, and they're just ready to go. I was talking to Keenan Reynolds this week, and yeah, he said, you know, and I'm not that I'm tired of practice, but I just want to uh, go against guys that are not on my own team. I just want to face off against another team for once. What's been uh, sort of the, the guys' mentality? You rode the plane with them and uh, on the bus and stuff, and what have you overheard from guys and their excitement about this first game? You know, from everything I've heard, they're excited not only just to get out there and play a game, but they're excited for this opportunity. You know, I yesterday, Stephen Johnson, who's a linebacker that played for the Eagles and the Broncos in the NFL for a while, um, just talked about how – in the past, guys wouldn't have had this opportunity. Um, they're just If you didn't make it in the NFL, that was kind of it for you. And um, he said they feel like trailblazers with this new league, and he loves being there for guys that didn't make it to the league and being able to give them advice. And they're just they're loving the fact that they have this opportunity. So there's excitement about that as well as finally getting out there and getting to play a game today. <laughs> Moore, I know you're a big football fan and you grew up a football fan. Fantasy football champion. Fantasy football champion oh. and all blah, blah, blah. You're, the accolades go on and on and on. <laughs> but what about this new version of football excites you? Like, what are you most intrigued to see in this first game? Is it the rules? Is it the new play style? What are you excited to see? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just excited to have football in between the regular football season. But, yeah, I'm really excited to see these new roles. I think that, you know, we all in this day and age, the social media era where everything's at our fingertips, um, you see complaints about it in baseball, too. We kind of we kind of want to see things faster paced, and that's exactly what the XFL found when they did their research, and that's what they're trying to give us. So I'm just really excited to see how that translates on the field and, um, you know, how the rule changes work out for guys. You know, there, there might be an adjustment period, but um, I was talking to Channing Stribling, a uh, cornerback um, who was a star at Michigan this week, and he said, you know, at the end of the day, it's still football. They're not too nervous about these new rules, and um, I think it's just going to be really exciting to see it all take place. I'm really excited to see that, there, you know, how it works out with no point afters. They have options for um, a one, two, or three-point play. And uh, I, I just, I'm excited to see if they're going to gamble a little, maybe go for a three-point play today. Yeah, you mentioned the, the fan involvement and everything being at our fingertips. I think that's what's going to be really exciting for fans as well because we're still figuring out the strategy of this version of football with, with those extra points and making your opportunities to make it a one-score game versus a two-score two score game and when coaches will decide to do that. So I think the fan interaction will be really cool. What else about have you heard about the broadcast itself, too, that you think is really unique and different? Um, well, it's going to be more access than fans are used to, first of all. Like, uh, there's going to be, you're going to be able to hear what coaches are doing. You're going to be able to hear what some players are doing. I know I also heard yesterday that Steven Johnson, uh, the linebacker I was referring to earlier, is going to be mic'd up today. He said he has some friends on the defenders that he played with in the AF, and he expects there to be some trash talking. Nice. So, you know, things like that that I think a lot of fans wish they could hear in the NFL, you'll have access to here. That communication between coach and player, there's no yeah. time limit on that. We actually get in the huddle, which is cool. Maura Dooley, our Dragons insider, joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Maura, you look at this Dragons roster and how it's, how it's made up, what do you expect to see from them offensively? Do you expect to see them to air it out, or, or will they be sort of a, a ground-and-pound team? Um, you know, I've, I've been hearing 
from my sources <laughs> that they will probably be more of a run first team. But at the same time, they did get some really big offensive linemen and they carried five tight ends who are all really big too. And so I, I mean, I think that they are going to try to air, air it out when they have the chance. Um, and I, I think there's a possibility we could see some of BJ Daniels too. You know, everyone in Seattle knows him as a former Seahawk, um, even though Brandon Silvers is the starting quarterback. That'll make Mina Kimes very happy. I'm excited. I know. She, she was on Twitter talking about it. And, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she, she'll be watching the game today as well. <laughs> uh, funny, we saw I, – so I actually went and did some sightseeing this morning and um, went to the Lincoln Memorial and got to do all of that before the game. And we actually saw some Seattle Dragons fans walking around out here. So we were oh, that's awesome. So, Laura yeah, – we had to take a picture. I love that. If you were going to talk to those fans and give them one person that you're going to be looking at today or one player you're going to be watching to see what sort of impact they're going to have, who are you going to be keeping your eyes on? So I actually, um, I misspoke when I was talking to Lydia on Dragon's Insider on Wednesday night. I hadn't seen the depth chart yet. And um, I said that I thought that Trey Williams and Kenneth Farrow, who were running back duo in the AAF for offensive coordinator Mike Riley, were going to be the lead backs. But Apparently, Jaquan Gardner, the little guy that I mentioned, he's 5'5", and so really amazing. fun to watch, um, ended up being the lead back on the depth chart. Wow. And uh, he's just small and shifty and really fun to watch in practice. So um, I would keep my eye on him. A little Mighty Mouse there. I like to hear that. Like that. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Also, and, uh, as Dave Wyman noted the other day, he went to Humboldt State. And for some reason, Dave's really excited about the fact that their mascot's the Lumberjack. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, also, you can, if you want to, they name the captains this week, too, and that's always a, a good sign of not only who makes plays on the field, but who is who is the leader in the locker room, because I believe the team voted on that and elected those. That's Kenneth Farrow on offense, Steven Johnson on defense, who you mentioned, Mora, and then Keenan Reynolds, a very familiar name here in Seattle as well, and long snapper Noah Borden on special teams sharing those duties. Mora. Yeah, and I think Keenan Reynolds is going to have a huge um, part in this game because, unfortunately, Kaysen Williams is not going to be able to go today. He is dealing with a quad injury. But from what I understand, it's not serious, so hopefully we will see him next week for the home opener. Mora, when you look at sort of the new innovations that the XFL is undergoing, one of them is all, most offensive players are going to have a radio in their headset, and the play clock is only going to be 25 seconds how do you think these players are going to be adjusting to those new changes and to the new pace of this league? Yeah, it is going to be a bit of an adjustment. Um, they think that it, you know, I talked to the players and they like it because of the 25 second play clock. It's going to make it easier for, you know, coach to get those play calls in and then to keep things moving faster. But they have said there's a bit of an adjustment period with uh, coach Zorn is trying to make sure that he's not talking too much and not making too many adjustments to where they can't get set. And then, um, you know, I think it's mostly, Keenan Reynolds was telling me it's mostly hard for Brandon Silvers because he's got to really get the next play in his head almost by the time he has the first one finished. So they said it did take, you know, a little bit of an adjustment period, but they feel pretty comfortable with it now. They've been practicing with the mics in their helmets for the last couple weeks. It's awesome, Maura. We're so excited for you. We're so excited to see live updates. The game now just about one hour away. Yep. So uh, yeah. 11 a.m. on ABC. It's an all-star cast calling the game as well. Steve Levy, Steve Levy Greg McElroy, 
uh, Tom Lukenbill, Diana Rossini, all part of that, and then our own Maura Dooley, who sh- you should follow online on Twitter yes. for, for Dragons updates. Thanks. Yes, for- definitely. Where can people, uh, what's your Twitter handles, just so people know? So it's Maura, M-A-U-R-A, underscore, underscore, dual, D-O-O-L. Perfect. There we go. Maura, thank you so much for joining us here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Have a blast out there covering the game, and uh, look forward to seeing you back here uh, on Monday. Thank you, guys. Sounds good. Go Dragons. Woo! Go Dragons yes. for sure. That is Maura Dooley joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Yeah, we're only an hour away from kickoff. New uh, league. It's new era. It's it's real. New phone. Who dis? Yeah, new league. Who dis? <laughs> and about one week away from yeah CenturyLink Field, which I think will be an incredible experience so cool. to do it here at home. So yeah, first, hearing, first preview. Hearing the attendance figures for what they're anticipating next week uh, at the the home opener. I mean, they had what over twenty thousand tickets sold about a week ago. I imagine that number is creeping up. Uh, I mean, Sounders regularly get about 30000 in that lower bowl. That would be really cool to see just, you know, for a, a brand-new league, first game here. I think it really speaks to just the quality of fans that uh, represent the city of Seattle here. Because no, we're lucky, man. You guys are the best. They show mm-hmm. out. They show out for sure. Coming up in the very next hour, got a lot of trades going on. Trades in the NBA. Trades in Major League Baseball. One that has everybody shaking their heads at. We get into all of that coming up on Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle.